0: This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. So um, I told Tracy yesterday that uh, I had no idea what I was going to share with you this morning uh, because I've spent no time Thinking about it this week, I spent no time preparing, so that's just full disclosure. And the reason for that is is because, you know, like I said in a prayer, and I sent an email out to you guys early in the week about it, Monday night we lost a a long-time employee, uh, one of our best employees, and a very good friend of mine at City of Refuge, Chuck Langston. Chuck's been here several times to church to show up here and there. And um, so some of you know him, a couple of you have been to Jamaica on mission trips with him and that kind of thing. And just a phenomenal guy, you know, 60 years old, a year and two months younger than me, and just his daughter heard his alarm clock going off Tuesday morning, uh, kept going off, and she went in to check on him and he was gone. So that really hit hard in the City of Refuge community, and that sort of dominated the week, of course. And so. She discovered him at 5:30 Tuesday morning. I got the call at 5:45. I went to his house. I spent half a day there with his family and some other people that had gathered. And then other things throughout the week focused on that. And then Friday morning, his celebration of life service up in Calhoun. <clears throat> and I had, I was honored to be able to speak at that service. And so really, you know, I told Tracy yesterday I didn't have any idea what I was going to share here this morning, but as I thought about it, it was like, well, Chuck, is, uh, he's a guy that you can pull from, and we've been talking about being of the kingdom here for a little bit, and so his life just ties right into that message, so it's easy, really, because Chuck Langston was a guy who wrote his own obituary. Y'all have heard me talk about that, right? And I said that Friday morning in the service. I said, you know, a nice obituary was written on paper for him this week, and it it was good. But Chuck, in addition to that, Chuck wrote his own obituary. And he wrote it over the course of his life. And he, especially the last several years of his life, when he really deepened his relationship with God, when he really lived out what it means to be of the kingdom, He wrote a powerful obituary, which made it, uh, you know, it's never easy to get up and talk at something like that, but you don't have struggle for stuff to say. It's just whether you can get through saying it or not, you know, because there's so much good to say. That was not a struggle. The struggle, as I told them, was scaling it down to what you can fit in the allotted amount of time, right? Because you don't have all day. So. You know, here's a simple guy, country boy from Gordon County, Georgia. Got a deep southern drawl, talked very slow. He's like, if you ever watch Duck Dynasty, that that guy, Mountain Man, he talked just like that guy. And he's a mechanic, he was a builder, guy knew how to do everything. You know, I talked about how he obtained an old Singer sewing machine from a relative that passed away. Here's a 60-year-old man with a sewing machine. What are you going to do, right? I mean, I know what I'm going to do. Or maybe I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I'm not going to do what Chuck did. Because we would do, different ones of us men would do something with a sewing machine, maybe. Here's what Chuck did. He sets it up in the auto shop right in the middle of the operation at City of Refuge, and you know, bolts it to a table, and he learns to sew. And it takes him about five minutes to become a... And I said in the service, I don't know what to call him. I guess he was a sewer, or a seamer, or a seamster, but I don't think he would want to be called a seamstress, right? So we had to figure out what to call him because I never know, I've never known men who really took the time to sit down at a sewing machine and learn how to sew. I'm sure they're out there somewhere. I just never really kept company with those guys, but, but that's what he did, and then he started looking for stuff to sew, so all the old cushions and chairs around the shop and in the office and stuff that needed to be replaced, he took those and ordered material and cut it out and sewed it and made beautiful new seat cushions where I would have just thrown the stuff in a dumpster, right? That's the kind of stuff Chuck would do. Um, but, more, but, you know, so he's, he's a mechanic, he's a builder, but he was a guy that was always looking for an opportunity to be productive and to make things better and to bless and enrich somebody else's life, you know. So, and literally, I mean, he's the only man I think I've ever known that I do not know a single person that didn't like him. Um, Bruce talked about how he got a text message from somebody during the week that said, "Hey, I was sorry to hear about Chuck. That's tragic. Uh, he's the only guy in that family that I liked." So, and Bruce said that in the service to his family that you know, whoever this was, don't like you, but everybody liked him. Everybody who ever met the man liked him that I know of, at least in the years that I knew him. And he's a guy that could practically do anything, just whatever he put his mind to. And I carried with me to the service a fire poker. And I had it laying on the floor up there. And at the appropriate time, I said, Chuck came down to my house to work on my tractor just because he heard me say in passing somewhere that my tractor was acting up. He comes and works on it. Not only does he refuse payment, won't let me give him anything, but he brings me a gift, which is a fire poker, black iron, that he had forged himself with a blacksmith kit that he had bought and learned in about five minutes how to use. He's that guy, you know. So, and I brought the fire poker up and I said, this is the gift he brought to me, you know, and it has become my uh, Chuck Langston emotional support fire poker now, so that's what it is. So, but deeper than all that, is the spiritual impact that the guy had on people and the living example he was of what it means to be of the kingdom. And so he taught me that you can discount some of the normal stuff that we look at. He never did what I'm doing right now. Because you know what? Compared to what you do out in the world, when you're not in here, in your conversations, in your actions, in your ministry to other people, in your giving, in your compassion, in your love, in your benevolence, in your tenderness. What I'm doing right here is enormously unimportant compared to that. And he had this way, So and, and physically, right? So you, you see, I mean, sometimes... You see preachers on television or whatever, some of America's most popular and famous preachers, and what they look like, you know. They're working out. they got on their muscle shirts and their skinny jeans and their $600 sneakers and their hair's all done just right and their beard's all groomed up just right and all that. And in the big scheme of things, that's fine if that's how you want to look, but it's enormously unimportant. You know, Chuck's a guy that when you saw him, he had on jeans or work pants, Dickies, something like that, boots, plain shirt with the name Chuck across it. <laughs> and but he was one of the most deeply spiritual and spiritually impactful people I ever knew, you know? And um, he he would he was forever telling me about these books he was reading and wanting me to read them. I'm talking about Theology books from the 1800s written in Old English. And he'd give me a copy of it, and a couple weeks later, asked me if this book changed my life like it did his. And I'm like, um, yeah, it was awesome. And actually, I read about a half a page and gave up because I couldn't understand what it was talking about. But he could. Because he was deeply intellectual and philosophical and, and he, he, I don't know, I guess the Holy Spirit just gave him some sort of an inside track on discerning that stuff. So he lived out what it mean, meant to be of the kingdom. You know, Miss Tracy that works in, the up, she works in some department up there, is a great cake baker and she knows Chuck loves cakes, so she would bake him a cake every time i went in that shop that chuck had gotten a cake from his trace you know what he did he went to the dining hall he got a carry out container he brought it back he sliced off two or three slices of the cake put them in the container and gave them to me because he was always sharing because when you are of the kingdom you love to give you love to share you love to bless You'd rather enrich someone else's life than you had to see your own life enriched. That's what it looks like to be of the kingdom. You love the Word. You love prayer. You love meditation. You love conversations about God and His ways. You love to give. You love to serve. You love to do. You love to enrich the lives of other people. So. He's a great example for us, and it took me to the second chapter of the book of 1 John that we'll take a look at quickly this morning. And we'll start at verse 3, and we'll talk a little bit about the guy who's writing this in a minute because it's really important for us to understand who this is coming from and where this is coming from. John says, we know that we have come to know him, that's Jesus Christ, if we keep his commands. Hard for me to even push on past that initial sentence. We know that we have come to know him if we do what? You tell me, if we do what? Keep His commands. Not if we join the church. Not if we attach the label Christian to ourselves. Not if we listen to worship music in our cars. That, not if we write our tithe checks faithfully. All that's good and all that's important. And some of that amounts to commands from the Lord. But the way that we really know, he leaves no question marks here, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands, period. Whoever says, now listen, I know him, But does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Who are those people? Who are they? I don't have to tell you. You know who they are. They are those people, those multitudes of people that say, I am a Christian but they don't do what He says. That's who they are. Those people that say, I know God, I'm in relationship with God, I'm a child of God, but they don't do what He says. I'm seeing no gray area here. I'm seeing no riding the fence. It's as we've said so many times. There are two kingdoms. You live in one or you live in the other. There is the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of this world. And you can declare all day long, whoever says, whoever mouths it, whoever gives it lip service, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Period. Pretty straight, pretty simple, pretty easy to understand, pretty straightforward. But in verse 5, he says, but if anyone obeys his word, there it is again, obeys, does what he commands, love for God is truly made complete in them. All right, so we all know that the Bible tells us we're supposed to love God and love people, right? Pretty easy to do the first one, at least, to say that's what we're doing. Not so easy to do the second one because there's a whole bunch of people that make it difficult for us to love them, right? Who's ever struggled? Be honest. Every time I ask a question, and if I know the question's relevant to everybody in the room, at least half of y'all don't raise your hand, which makes you kind of what John was talking about. But I'll give you grace. But be honest this time and raise your hand. Whoever in this room has had an experience or or known somebody that you really struggled to love them? Who of you, there's somebody in this room. No, I'm not going to go to that. Yeah, there are people that we struggle to love. We know we're supposed to, it's right, it's in the book. But it's not easy. Here's the reality, y'all. Here's the absolute truth. In and of your natural self, you cannot just make it happen. You can't just make it happen. So, listen now. Listen carefully. If you're still struggling, if you're still struggling to love, then there's something wrong in the obedience compartment of your life. Because love cannot be complete by your own human effort, but it does become complete when you obey His Word. In other words, as you exercise complete obedience to what you discover in the words of God, He transforms, the Spirit transforms you from the inside out, and that love that you could not fully complete beforehand now starts to grow to completion inside you because He's the one doing the work. Another question, how many of you today love someone that at some point in the past, you did not love and you thought you would never love? Is there anybody in the room who would say, I know that that happened because I allowed the Spirit of God to do His work in me and it happened because of my obedience. That's the way it works. But if we do not do what he commands, we're a liar. And if we do not obey his words, the love of God is not made complete. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete. I believe that that completing is a process that happens as we exercise obedience in process. This is how we learn, this is how we know we are in him, John says. Whoever claims now listen, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Wow, okay. There, There are a handful of really, really huge, important, powerful lessons in what we're talking about here today. We've already covered a couple of them, and here's another one. So you can read the Bible and you you can discover what God has said and what God has told us to do. And you might be at war with that. You might have a real struggle with that in your life on a day-to-day basis because it's instruction coming from a place that is maybe sometimes hard to really get in close and personal with. Right? Because a lot of the things that happened in the Bible happened a very long time ago. Some of the elements around them are not relevant to us in our society today. But the truth of the principles of what God teaches us through every story and every situation never change. Okay? So, but navigating that sometimes can be hard. So, what should we do? Well, how about we try living like Jesus did? Living like Jesus did, because here is a real human example. And God sent his son to earth as a human being for this very reason so that we would have a human example that we could connect with, that we could relate to, that would go through all of the stuff, all the struggles and trials and things that every human being goes through. And he, that person, would show us how to live. John says whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. How much time do we invest in studying the life, the words, the steps, the actions of Jesus Christ? And then just simply imitating what he did. How he thought, how he behaved, how he carried on conversations, how he reacted and responded in stressful situations. What did Jesus do? And John says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one. This can get confusing, but we have an explanation. He says, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. What is it? So he says I'm not writing you a new command and in the next sentence he says but I am writing you a new command. What's that about? Is it a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction. He's saying I'm not writing you a new command because God our Father from the time of creation has always presented to us himself and his principles and his ways. And He has called us into obedience to that. But the newness comes when the person of Jesus Christ arrives on the scene. So now it's not new at its core. It's not new in the spirit of it. It's not new at the heart of it. It's just presented in a new way through the person of Jesus so that we can understand it better because He is a person like us. I'm giving you a new way of looking at the heart of God. I'm giving you a new command, so to speak. The true light has arrived. The true light is already shining. You move into that light and you start to gain understanding about how the heart of God works and about how the mind of God functions. And he says anyone who claims to be in the light, so he gets very specific here with an example. I'm imagining that the reason he gives this example is because that the group of people he was writing to in that moment were probably struggling with this particular thing because all the New Testament writers addressed specific issues that were happening in the groups of people, the churches that they were writing to. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness and they do not know where they are going because darkness has blinded them. I I, I, I could never in a million years stand up here and make it any more clearer than the Apostle John has just made it for us. You cannot say, I'm this, that, or the other, and it not be evidenced through the obituary that you're writing. Through your heart of love, through your heart of forgiveness, through your heart of service, through your heart of compassion and benevolence. These are the attributes of the person of Jesus Christ. So he tells us just live like Jesus. What does that look like? What does living like Jesus amount to? Well, he was a person. If you just start off in Matthew chapter 5 and read the Beatitudes, you find out pretty much all of what's in his heart. And what's in his heart comes straight out of the heart of his Father. There's no questioning the source, poor in spirit, that means we're not haughty. We're not prideful. We're not self-sufficient. We have total dependence on Him. We've lost all the arrogance that we may, may have ever had about anything. You know? Blessed are those who don't think too much of themselves might be a good way to say it. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who grieve over the prevalence of evil in the world. Blessed are those who grieve over those who are suffering and hurting. Blessed are those whose hearts are moved by tragedy, whose hearts are moved by suffering, whose hearts are moved by injustice. But they don't just sit around and grieve about it. They're moved to action out of their mourning. Right? Blessed are those who make peace instead of conflict. Right? You know that when people pass away, I was thinking about this with Chuck. You know, Chuck, um, some of his family members gave him a lot of trouble through, through the years. His kids were rebellious at points in time. Um... He went through a, an ugly divorce. There's a lot of anger and a lot of stuff that went around that. And you can choose in those situations to make peace or to contribute to the conflict. And ironically, when someone passes on and there's been some history and there's still levels of selfishness and there's levels of greed and there's levels of pride. It is during or right after you say goodbye to them, have their service, that all this conflict erupts, right? Because now that they're out of the picture, you can say things and do things and go, you know, the the swarm in to see what they can take before anybody else gets there and all, all this kind of stuff, all this kind of nonsense. Because there are levels of selfishness that reside in the hearts of people who are not of the kingdom of God. You can expect godless people to do godless things, right? We shouldn't be shocked by that. There should be an expectation that that's what's going to happen. But Chuck was a guy that worked through it and made a choice for peace instead of conflict. That's what Jesus said we should do, and that's what Jesus did. Right? When he was asked, when he was being tried, where are your accusers? Right? When he was accused by the authorities of all sorts of horrible things, how did Jesus respond? He put his head down and said nothing. He chose peace over contributing to the conflict. Blessed are the merciful. Just take a look at his life, right down to when he was hanging on the cross. Was merciful to a thief that was hanging beside him was merciful to soldiers who were torturing Him, He declared, leave them alone. They don't know what they're doing. They totally do not know what they're doing. So, Jesus gave us the lessons. Blessed are those who pursue righteousness. Right? These are the things. Live like Jesus lived. His teaching on through that Sermon on the Mount, we call it emphasizes forgiveness, emphasizes loving your enemies. John here re-emphasizes by saying, You cannot harbor resentment, bitterness, hatred in your heart for a brother or sister and call yourself of the kingdom at the same time. The two of those things do not go together. They do not coincide. And it will not work that way. It does not work that way. There is no such thing as one foot in the kingdom of God, one foot in the kingdom of the world. Unfortunately, that is spiritually pandemic in the Christian world today where we want to talk about the kingdom of God. We want to go to church. We want to act like we're something and we want to call ourselves Christians. But all the while, the obituary they're writing of their lives while they're still alive shows very clearly one foot still in the kingdom of the world. And John says over in Revelation that that nauseates God Almighty. You know, it's... Interesting how much, how little is said in the Scripture about the heathen, but how much is said about people who claim to be the people of God, but who are not living like the people of God should be living. There is... Heavy emphasis on what it looks like to be of the kingdom and on the huge hypocrisy that exists if you claim that but are not living it out through your obedience. So I think we learned today from Chuck and we learned from Jesus, of course. And we learn from John, and I told you I was going to say something about the man that's bringing this to us. And this is very important to me because this guy is not a guy who lived a few hundred years after Jesus had departed the earth and is getting a lot of his material from hearsay or reading somebody else's work. This is a guy that reclined on Jesus' breast. This was Jesus' best friend when he was on earth. That's important. Think about who your best friend is. Right? Those of you who are married better be thinking about your spouse first. If you're not, don't say it. Tracy's my best friend, no doubt about it. Next in line would be my brother, I guess. And the reason mine and Bruce's relationship and our working relationship at City of Refuge for 25 years has been so productive and has gone so well is because we know each other so well. Because that's the way it is with you and your best friend. You know them, you know how they think. You know what, their bents, their tendencies. You know what, button's not to push, right? This is that guy for Jesus. This is a guy who knows what he's talking about. This is a guy that when he sat down with quill and paper to write down these words, was talking firsthand, was talking out of intimate relationship. He knew what he was talking about. If I'm going to pay attention to anybody, it's going to be that guy, you know? Not to discount anything any of the rest of them had to say, you know? But the Apostle Paul, to my knowledge, never met Jesus Christ. You know, it's the guys who were with him, the guys who were right there in the room the guys who were right there on the trail, the guys who were right there on the hillside, that if we're not going to take anything else seriously, I think we probably should take them seriously. You know? And he says to us, listen, if you love God, it's going to show up. It's going to show up in your worship. It's going to show up in your love for people. It's going to show up in your devotion. It's going to show up in your conversation. It's going to show up in your level of forgiveness. It's going to show up in your level of generosity, in your heart of benevolence. It's going to show up. If it's not showing up, it's just not there. (laughs) There's no need talking about it if it's not there. Because if it is there, it's going to come out and everybody will be able to see it. Everybody will be able to see it. It will be so obvious. That person is a kingdom person. I can tell it. I see them writing their obituary and everything about it says kingdom. i got some work to do. Y'all probably got some work to do. Let's commit ourselves to doing the work through our one-by-one decisions for obedience watch the Spirit of God change us from the inside out, and all of a sudden, our love will be complete. And out of, it, out of that, everything else is going to be right, and it's going to bring honor and glory to Him. Father, bless you. I give thanks for Chuck Langston's life, for what I learned from it, for the blessing of having him as a friend, and I'll carry that with me forever. I thank you for the life of John. I thank you that you positioned him right there by the Lord so that he could give us important, powerful information and tools that can make us victorious kingdom sons and daughters. And most of all, I give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ, and for the redemption that he brought to us. That you loved us so much, you sent him as a sacrifice for us. And that We can see in His life what we need for our lives. And we can be honorable citizens in the kingdom of God who complete the purpose for which you sent us here. Thank you for all of that. And we pray it in His name, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.